Hello, welcome to this episode of 10,000 Posts. Uh, it's a show about how everything is posting, but also it's a show about how I, your host, is saying it gets, just keeps getting sick. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm sick again. I have a cough. Apologies in advance if I like sound a little bit rusty. I had like a really sexy uh, uh, like vocal fry yesterday, um, but that's only for like the bonus listeners. So if you want to hear like my red scare voice, then go there subscribe five bucks a month it's always good um i'm joined by uh, i'm joined by my co-host as always phoebe roy phoebe how's it going it's going okay as you get sicker i get i get more powerful so yeah you become I'm, more I, radiant you've, be, you've been looking like radiant happened. Yeah. <laughs> well that's just because <laughs> like you, the, yeah. the white balance is really off on my, mm, on my i don't know i feel like, like this is not I feel like this kind yeah. of glowing face is not my it's no, not i my feel like there's something face. else going on mm. bear in mind this is an audio medium so like you know, we can sort of say whatever we want, and that yeah, does include that you are indeed like somehow true. like sucking up my life force, and mm-hmm. that's fine because I respect women, um, yeah. and I res- and I would give up my life force for all of them. Um, <laughs> we're joined this week by a friend of the show, a friend of like lots of pods. I've wanted to get them on for a long time, um, and we uh, we're going to talk a little bit about their book. Uh, Road to Nowhere, What Silicon Valley Gets Wrong About the Future of Transportation. We are, of course, joined by Paris Marx. Paris, how's it going? Um, yeah, how, 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 how are you feeling today? Hello, I'm, you know, feeling all right. I'm not sick like you. I'm hoping I don't catch it through the recording. Um, <laughs> it does happen. It does happen. Yeah. <laughs> through those fiber oh. optic cables. I know, I know it works that way. Yeah, it's the real, it's the real pandemic. It's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's podcast is flu. Um, yeah, uh, no, we're going to talk about bit... 5G. We have the microchips in us now. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, 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 I completely forgot about the 5G thing. And like, <laughs> I wonder what happened to that because like, there was like a small, at the beginning of the lockdown, at the beginning of the lockdown, there was like this small protest near my parents' house over a 5G, um, a 5G tower. And um, it culminated in four people standing outside of the site where the 5G uh, uh, tower was going to be, holding signs that were basically saying that like this 5G tower was going to like control the minds of people in like the village. Bear in mind that like this is a village that like doesn't have fiber optic cables for internet. Mm-hmm. Like we're still kind of using lots of old stuff, um, and like it hasn't really changed since well ever since i've sort of known it so i kind of thought that maybe it's just because of the idea that something technologically more advanced was being set up and no one really knew how to respond to it mm. um so i wonder what happened to that because the 5g tower is up but like i didn't see even much these days i wonder if they've forgotten about it um but yeah like i hope you don't get the podcast's plague from me and from the listeners as well like if you if any of you get sick after listening to the show um, I'm not liable for that, so don't try to sue me. Um, yeah, we do remember talk- when uh, they blew up a few of the 5G towers. I don't know if it was in the UK or the US. And um, right before the pandemic, I was in, well, I guess a few months before, I was in Copenhagen and like I walked through like the main square, like I think it's yeah. like a royal building or I don't know if it's the parliament or what. And like mm-hmm. they were sat up in front of there with like a big anti 5G demonstration. And I don't, I don't know, I, I had just never seen anything like it before. And I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely like one of the kind of defining points of that year that we've sort of memory hold a lot of. So um, I didn't know if any blew up around here. That sounds th- like kind of a US thing. I think I think that's more of more likely to be an American thing than a British thing. British yeah, people we just like write... to write letters. <laughs> yeah, we like, like to kind of just like stand outside things that letters. we disapprove yeah. of and like shake our heads we like to tut. um yeah we like to tut a lot so there were a lot there was I lots think, of tutting I, yeah outside. i feel like i feel like an explosion i feel like that's like that's really taking it seriously <laughs> and that's really kind of that's really going in hard and mm. yeah well i'm in canada so we're more like you guys anyway as well <laughs> <laughs> well why don't we talk about well we are going to talk about um uh, a certain canadian he's canadian isn't he kind of who? Uh, well, he's kind of South African, but like, didn't he? Or am I getting like my yeah, millionaire? I can't remember stuff? if he has citizenship, uh, but he did come here from South Africa for university before going to the states. Yeah. Okay. So he, so he has some sort of Canadian link, which like automatically yeah, makes him his, kind of. Sus. His grandparents were Canadian, and his grandfather ah. was. Um, his grandfather moved to South Africa because he thought that 
the morals in Canada were declining. Um, and so he felt he had to go to South Africa. To yeah, and crucially, and crucially, apartheid <laughs> South Africa. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Let's not forget about what type of South Africa uh, we're, we're, we're referencing here. Yeah, we are going to be talking about um, a certain Elon Musk for this episode. Um, some stuff has happened with him uh, fairly recently. I don't know if you've heard the news, um, but he may be like about to, at the time of recording, he may be about to buy uh the world's best website twitter.com um <laughs> and there are lots of people who are mad about it and there are lots of people who are like sort of praising it and like none of it makes any sense so paris like as someone who has sort of like written about elon musk a bit and like you know whose sort of book is kind of like looking at arguably one of his kind of like legacies um we thought it'd be a great way for you to like it'd be great for us to like try to understand elon musk and like what maybe sort of led to his decision to buy Twitter, but also how it relates to like Tesla and SpaceX and all that stuff. Um, because it is your first time on the show, uh, we usually kind of, uh, we, we usually like break the ice, so to speak, with like a tweet that kind of we've seen recently that sort of relates to the show, but is kind of funny. And this week I have a tweet from uh, Ben Shapiro. Um, uh, all of our favorite, is- I'm sure. Yeah, um, you know he's uh, he he's a certainly a special special short king. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether we ever did the tweet about like how my favorite tweet of his was basically kind of like saying that his wife was a doctor and like that meant that it, and she said it was totally chill if like women didn't get wet. Um, no, no, it was it was it was even worse. He'd said my wife's a doctor and she said yeah. that if that if a pussy is wet that's like a sign of a medical emergency oh my god that (laughs) is worse yeah yeah and we did talk about it we talked about it at the time (laughs) well ben shapiro is back and he's not he's back with a tweet that isn't as good as that but one that nonetheless i think is kind of like quite instructive as to the people who are very supportive of elon musk buying twitter um so he posted this on april 26 2022 ben shapiro says Here is what Musk should do. Trust and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission revealing past manipulation, algorithmic transparency, fire a lot of people. Uh, The last is the most crucial. If you leave in place the woke progressives who control implementation, leadership matters little. Um, uh, Yeah, uh, Ben Shapiro thinks that like Elon Musk should fire everyone from Twitter as soon as he buys it, Mm. Um, which seems to sort of be like, uh, not not necessarily the best way to like manage a tech company, especially a tech company that like relies on people working in it to kind of keep it alive. Um, Paris, like as uh, our guest, like, do you want to like what 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 are your kind of like immediate reactions to uh, Ben Shapiro's uh, business advice to Elon Musk? <laughs> immediate reaction is that it's wild to suggest a truth and reconciliation commission for twitter <laughs> <laughs> um but like expanding on what he said about firing all the employees there's also a video that kind of goes along with that tweet or like that that tweet is kind of summarizing um yeah. where he says that you need to get rid of the employees because they are part of the twitter deep state that is going to oh God, stop elon yeah. musk from making the changes that he wants to make um and so they need to be taken out of the picture because you know, I guess he had looked at some data that said that of the Twitter employees, like 90 odd percent had given to Democrats in the most recent electoral cycle or something like that. So that clearly meant that they all needed to be wiped out because they weren't like, you know, fanatic right wingers. Mm. Um, And so they wouldn't allow his like vision of free speech, their idea of free speech to be implemented um, as they all hope that Elon Musk will, you know, make happen, I guess. It's interesting, isn't it, that how similar it is to how Q people used to talk about Trump. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's I think it's really I think it's really noticeable how how similar how similar that is. Yeah, and I yeah, and I think this is what's interesting. We've sort of I I put it in like the notes for a little bit later, but like what seems to sort of be like immediately clear. Um, is that for the people who are like very supportive of Elon Musk buying Twitter, they don't really seem to have an answer as to like why this is necessarily a good thing, right? Um, for them, it's just very much like, so it, it sort of seems to be in two camps. One is that like this is all kind of anger the libs and that's why it's a good thing. Mm. Um, and the second one is more like our guy kind of like bought this website. And I think like what's interesting within that is, you know, the whole kind of 
animosity towards Twitter has sort of been around for a while. And I guess like it kind of began in like proper uh, in around about 2016, when the whole idea of like big tech, which was run by like leftist liberals in this sort of particular fantasy, were silencing conservatives and silencing like Trump supporters um, by like taking down their accounts, shadow banning them and so on. It sort of reached the zenith when Trump was like, you know, taken off of Twitter. Um, and in the midst of that, like they, what they've tried to do is like, they've tried to like build their own services, which are kind of like specifically like anti-Twitter and anti-left services. And none of them have worked because crucially they all just want to be back on Twitter for some reason. Um, so even like stuff like Gab is just filled with like Twitter screenshots. Uh, so they know that that doesn't really work. And on the other side, it's kind of like, I, I don't know if any of them actually enjoy being on this website. Um, or like enjoy its uses. I think for them, it's very much, they just sort of want to be in proximity to people who are against what they believe in. So the idea of like Elon Musk getting Twitter back and kind of saying, at least kind of like gesturing that, oh yeah, there's going to be like no moderation and you can sort of say what you want. And as long as you're like within the kind of remits of the law, then you're all good. And we're not going to like do any type of like due diligence or anything. That seems exciting, but to, to a certain people, but only to the extent where it's like, oh yeah, we can now use slurs again. Yeah. I, I think there is an element of it as well, though, where they feel like they are or, or they need to like shape the conversation and to like have this war on these communication platforms in terms of like trying to take down the people who don't support their view of things. And if you think about, you know, especially in the United States, I'm sure it's still true in the UK as well. But the right has been very successful in shaping like traditional mainstream media narratives. Mm -hmm. Um, in the United States and weaponizing this idea that the liberal media is like excluding right wing voices, blah, blah, blah. And so then, you know, you have this Fox News and this whole right wing media infrastructure that keeps producing these like crazy stories that then yeah. get picked up by the CNNs, the MSNBCs or whatever, because they feel they <laughs> need to like give some mm -hmm. balance. Right. Um, even though there's not like a left wing equivalent of that, that they're they're not like picking up communist stories or something like that. Um, and so then I think you see that that kind of narrative, that idea extend to the social media platforms again around 2015, 2016, where the idea is that like what is happening on these platforms, how speech is moderated, how content is moderated on the platforms needs to be done in a way that allows these right wing voices to dominate, to influence yeah. people, what have you. And we see that on Facebook where, you know, most of the popular posts and pages are people from the right. And there's been reporting now for years about how um, at Facebook and at Twitter as well, they were really cautious about taking down right wing accounts, moderating right wing posts, at least for a very long mm. time. And I would argue that still continues to this day um, because they didn't want to piss off these really powerful conservatives and right wing voices. Yeah. It kind of also feels like it's a continuation of the victim narrative and like that is kind of one of Elon's appeals. Like he sort of seems to be someone who like at least is sympathetic to that victim narrative, mm. even though he sort of doesn't expressly say, as far as I'm aware, he hasn't expressly kind of like said it, but his actions and like the people that he interacts with and everything seems to imply that like he very much buys the idea that, oh yeah, like social media accounts do like silence conservative voices. And even though I'm someone who isn't like on any sort of political side, I believe in free speech and so on. Um, and like, maybe there's a cynical kind of thing where certain right wing people will be like, yeah, we can kind of use him to our own ends. And we can use like, like his version of Twitter to sort of like advance messages in a way that was like, kind of more difficult back where, you know, uh, you know, beforehand. Um, I, I was sort of going to ask you based on like what you sort of know about Elon, um, how much of this do you reckon is like sincere in terms of, uh, and we'll get, we'll get, we'll get to this in like the kind of like meat of the episode, but we were talking off mic about how like you didn't necessarily know the appeal that Twitter like held to Elon Musk, like directly, um, or at least like, you know, it, 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 it doesn't sort of seem to kind of be like a logical uh, reasoning behind why he would buy it. Um, I wondered whether like you had any opinions or like you had any insight into how sincere Elon actually believes in this like notion of a culture war or like, is he consciously aware that he can kind of use the victim narrative to his advantage when it comes to like, you know, 
buying more kind of yeah buying like communications services online yeah i I would say like it's very clear how elon musk benefits from being on twitter because he uses the platform i i read an article the other day where someone said that um since donald trump was banned elon musk is like inarguably the most powerful poster on the platform right (laughs) yeah um which, which like i think is undeniable um because he not only uses it to um you know cement his cult of of followers of people who you know are kind of hanging on his every tweet waiting to see what he's going to post even like the shitty memes that he steals from other people um but then at the same time he can use those tweets to you know uh, attack his opponents people who he feels are critical of him he can use it to ensure that the media keeps him like on top of everything like you know, it's not uncommon for him just to tweet something random. And then all of a sudden there are all these headlines in like major yeah. publications all about what he's just tweeted, even though it's usually like complete bullshit. Right. Um, and then at the same time, he's able to use Twitter to manipulate the prices of cryptocurrencies, manipulate the prices of uh, Tesla's shares. Um, and so, you know, Twitter is obviously a very important platform for him. And then the question is, like, why would he actually want to buy it so like he started buying up shares in january then finally disclosed that he had a 9.2 percent stake in april um he'd reached that in mid-march and there was issues because that was technically passed when he was supposed to um have disclosed that according to like the rules in the united states um and then quickly it was like he was going to join the board and then he wasn't going to do that and then all of a sudden he was going to buy it and in my view i I thought that the um, attempt to buy it was a way to kind of back out of this whole, I don't know, misguided campaign that he was on. Um, but uh, obviously I was wrong about that. And part of the reason I think I was wrong, because he gave a, a TED interview a couple of weeks ago where he said that the funding secured tweet that he sent in 2018 that kind of started a whole shitstorm um, and, and media cycle and got him in trouble with the SEC in the United States. Um, really kind of, I don't know, altered his perception of these things. And, you know, he's had a long running feud with the SEC ever since. And so once he made that commitment to buy the platform, it was like he couldn't, he couldn't back down because then he would once again be being told that he is, um, you know, making stuff up, making um, uh, claims about deals that haven't actually gone through. Um, and so, and he claims, of course, that he did actually have funding secured in 2018 and it was the SEC that forced him to say he didn't, so he could have not like get charged or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I think the appeal of it is, is hard to say other than controlling like a key piece of infrastructure that's really important to his, um, place in the world, to his like narrative about himself, but also to his ability to control the conversation and also to control, yeah. I don't know, the movement of prices of stocks and cryptocurrencies and all this stuff. Mm. Okay, so let's like talk about Elon Musk, like generally. Um, so, and like, it's, this is kind of, it's like, what well, even when I was writing the notes, it was sort of difficult because I don't really keep tabs on him uh, because number one, because it's like really difficult to do it. I think Paris, you mentioned that like, every time you sort of, you know, so when I think the last time we did an Elon episode was about cryptocurrencies and it was really difficult to sort of like figure out what was going on because whenever Elon would do like a post about crypto, his mentions would be like filled with kind of Elon Musk, like, you know, replica bot accounts, people like trying to pump cryptocurrencies. Uh, Like you have your kind of like uh, ride and die guys who will, um, you know, try to kind of, you know, who will, yeah, who will just kind of like be fucking horrible to you if you say anything like even remotely critical about this guy. Um, and yeah, and, and it's just like very difficult to actually figure out, you know, again, like how much of the stuff that he says like is genuine or not because, you know, the reputation of like, you know, the Le epic bacon guy who kind of gets irony but doesn't really. Um, in your book, you've sort of like written a little bit about Elon Musk and like Tesla and kind of just, but also just like how Elon has kind of been able to sort of become the guy that he is. So maybe that's like a good place to start uh, in terms of like Elon not only becoming like, I think like one of the world's most wealthy men, but crucially uh, kind of 
having this narrative of being like a billionaire, innovative genius. I think Netflix has like a documentary out soon in which they sort of refer to him as like the real life Iron Man. And yet like <laughs> any kind of critical well, analysis of him. I know. Because <laughs> right? and, and- I think that's what's so, in- what's so interesting about the kind of the characterization, uh, the yeah. kind of the Q level characterization of him as this kind of defender of free speech when it's clear, when it, I mean, I, I can't, I can't speak, I can't speak to his motivations, and I can't obviously make guesses about his business decisions. But it obviously makes sense to have a controlling interest in in infrastructure, whether that be physical or digital. It obviously, that obviously makes sense for anybody who is wanting to uh, to influence the uh, the kind of legislative and policy making process, because the point of being a billionaire is not so that you can buy lots of stuff because there's only so much stuff that you can actually buy but what you can buy is you can buy access to power and you can buy and you can buy the mechanisms through which to control the way uh, the way the way the world goes and this is and it and it makes sense to uh, from his point of view to to purchase a not just a platform which so directs conversation and so directs policy but a platform which is driven by driven by users so you don't really need to make any other purchases you don't need to populate anything that's on this platform all you need to do is just rely on the continuing population of uh of the kind of the the user base human product um especially given how because because we talk about this a lot there is a very 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 small percentage of the population that is on Twitter and therefore the stuff that happens on Twitter being so incre- being so incredibly important to cultural and political conversations and to policy making is something which people should be thinking about and so when an ordinary person who is not kind of em- embroiled in all of this stuff sees oh the Tesla guy is buying Twitter like okay so this is just this is just a kind of big billionaire like Iron Man like toy boy. I don't mean toy boy. You know what I mean. <laughs> a big yeah. a big large boy, a big large toddler boy yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. buying up stuff because he can in a kind of I think it's more like a kind of Batman uh star billionaire uh, than an uh. Iron Man star billionaire. But <laughs> but pe- but like ordinary people look at that and they would think, oh well that's just that's just a billionaire spending spending his billions on on something which basically doesn't have any business value and it's quite a kind of curious business decision because I think that actually very little is understood about how many of these decisions both get made and how many of uh, these conversations are being uh, are being kind of driven and and manifesting as uh, political and cultural preoccupations. But what I think is quite funny about it is that People like Ben Shapiro and other kind of and other kind of conservative and right wing co- uh, commentators are being obliged by this situation and by what they think of as a land grab for them and their politics and them and their preoccupations. They are forced to pretend that this incredible, incredibly embarrassing loser is this kind of big cool guy, and he's just such an yeah. embarrassing loser. So I guess like, yeah, so I guess like the question to kind of like kick off the whole trying to understand Elon Musk on his own terms then is like, how Paris, like from your kind of studies and insights, how has he been able to kind of brand himself in a way that like has kind of made not necessarily immune to criticism, but certainly like he's been able to kind of avoid the criticisms of like his kind of tech CEO contemporaries. Um, Yeah. Yeah, no, just to briefly pick up on what Phoebe was saying, like, I, you know, I, I think it's completely right. And I think it's really interesting that um, there was an NBC report yesterday that in the aftermath of the news that Elon Musk had bought Twitter, there was like a, an exodus from the platform, a bunch of people who deactivated, who, you know, I guess you would perceive to be like liberal or progressive because you saw the follower numbers of a lot of those accounts drop significantly. And then an influx of a lot of right wing users who, you know, I guess would feel based on everything they're hearing from people like Ben Shapiro, that Elon Musk is on their side and Elon Musk is going to like Mm. move this platform in a direction that they would want to see that there was a big influx in those accounts. 
um, onto the platform. People like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's one of those like Trumpist um, Congress people in the U.S., saw big increases in their um, in their follower numbers. Um, but then a bunch of those were were then banned. So you know, it's it's like a, a fight as to what's actually going to go on there. Um, mm. But on, on your question, Hussein, I think it's I think it's really interesting to look at that kind of branding of Elon Musk over time. That idea that he is like this Iron Man kind of figure, um, because that movie comes out in like, what would that have been like around 2008, 2009 ish? Yeah, 2008. Yeah. And so he is being like directly compared to Iron Man because Tony Stark says that he modeled his idea of what Iron Man would be in those early movies on Elon Musk, because at that point, Elon Musk had already um, bought his way into Tesla and had started SpaceX. And he was putting out this vision that he was like going to do all these things that were going to um, save the climate with electric cars that were going to advance the human species into space, et cetera, et cetera. And so at a time when, especially at that moment, when like we were going into the recession, like things were really shit. Mm -hmm. It was like he had this vision for the future. He was promising this vision for the future that was like really hopeful. And it was also a moment when a lot of tech optimism was like ascendant. Yeah. Because you know tech was going to save us from the recession as well um, until we started to realize what the consequences of these tech companies were a number of years later. Um, and so what I think is really interesting is that you have Elon Musk kind of framing himself this way, but the media is completely complicit in building this narrative of Elon Musk and who he should be, who he is, you know, why we should care about him, putting him on the covers of all these magazines, writing like in-depth stories about how he's saving the world and all this kind of stuff. And he was really positioned as, as this kind of liberal billionaire savior um, who is doing these really important things that in many ways the government isn't doing, even though the government is funding a lot of, of mm. what he's up to, kind of privatizing government functions, especially with the space uh, stuff that he's up to. Um, and then I think it's been interesting to see like through the 2010s, especially in the past few years, this kind of slow shift in that image as yes people become more critical of the tech industry but also realize like the dark side of some of his companies and that the idea that tesla is like saving the world through electric cars isn't yeah. exactly accurate and so yeah. like you see him um getting close with trump during the trump administration he's on one of the trump's advisory councils um and he refuses to leave the advisory council when trump puts in the muslim ban um, mm. and only later leaves when uh, Trump pulls out of the Paris Agreement. Um, and, and that's because of pressure. And, you know, the, I guess the pressure had just gone too far. Um, when the pandemic happens, you see him opposing COVID measures, saying that, you know, the pandemic is going to be over by like April or the summer or whatever it was, <laughs> like, you know, very, very quickly. Um, you know, he moves to Austin during the pandemic, where um, you know, there, there have obviously been really kind of socially conservative policies being put into um, target uh, women who would have abortions or transgender people. Um, and when Elon Musk was asked about some of these policies, he said he wasn't political and, and didn't want to comment on it. And the governor of Texas said that Elon Musk agreed with those policies. Um, and more yeah. recently, he's been associating himself with Joe Rogan, with Jordan Peterson, with all these sort of people. Mm -hmm. um, and and since the kind of Twitter announcement has been made, he's been responding to a lot of kind of right wing people on Twitter um, who are expressing concerns about the way that Twitter works and saying that he like agrees with them, um, that that he agrees with their problems. He's been sending like right wing hordes to some Twitter executives um, because he said he disagrees with actions they've taken in the past. So, yeah, I, I think there's been the shift where he is. He was once framed as like this liberal environmentalist, like billionaire savior, who's going to um, do all these great things for us. And now in recent years, that kind of framing, even though the media is still all about ensuring that he is positioned as, as this visionary that is like, you know, saving the human race, um, that he has become much closer with these people on the right very explicitly. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, it, it does make you wonder, you know, what that means about him, what that means about the way that the media approaches him. I think it's really harmful the way that the media covers him um, mm. and, and whether that really needs to change. Mm. One, like, one thing I kind of, I've been watching a little bit uh, is also just like the reactionary turn that's sort of been taking place in tech uh, over the past few years. And like, 
like how that's also related to like um unionization efforts right so um you know there's the way and and maybe you know more about this than i do and i'd I'd be fascinated to like hear some more um but like even though the umbrella term of like silicon valley is used i think like what's happening right now especially in the wake of like unionization efforts in silicon valley um like workers in silicon valley kind of like um you know thinking a lot more about like organizing and sometimes like actually like organizing against you know within that space uh, you then have this reactionary turn in tech for whom like the unionization effort sort of represents what they kind of use. And again, it's another of the umbrella term of like wokeness, right? Like um, oh, all these tech companies are filled with like, you know, left, like leftist Marxists who, um, and the reality is that no, what they're doing is sort of like challenging, you know, not only the power of CEOs, but also the power of CEOs to kind of create these like fashion, these narratives for themselves of being like, you know, good billionaires and good humanitarians and mm. so on. And I think like Elon Musk definitely like fits into that space and it makes sense why he, but also like other tech people, like other tech CEOs have become much more comfortable with like at least kind of um, engaging with like quite vociferous like right-wing reactionaries, right? Um, I think like Bezos has kind of like done a couple of things on Twitter. I haven't, I'm not sure exactly like what, but basically in terms of like giving a nod to particular like um, bloggers and like, you know, uh, like, you know, VC personalities who have like very overtly anti-union politics. Um, There's a few other examples as well that I can't remember off the top of my head, unfortunately. But like, yeah, I definitely think Elon Musk sort sort of fits into that space. And I kind of wonder whether in that way, like Twitter is a kind of good way for him to show that, I don't know, it's like to kind of like shore up that energy. And I'm again, like I say this, I'm not even sure like what he'll do with it. And this is sort of seems to be where the conflict is, which is like, there's this part of me that's like, wouldn't you just be happy being like a board member who gets to use Twitter a lot and gets to make a lot of money out of it? I don't understand what like controlling it will actually give you. Um, Yeah, but I kind of wondered what your thoughts were on just like that kind of broader reactionary turn that seems to be happening in tech right now that also seems to be like a geographic like split between like Austin and Miami uh, and Los Angeles. Totally. No, but I I think it's fascinating. And I I like completely agree. Um, I I think in, in some ways you can see it as a reflection of like a broader kind of polarization that has happened more generally in like, you know, the politics of the United States. But you know, I guess the politics of the West more broadly um, in in recent years, in particular, post-recession, post, you know, mid-2010s, whenever you want to peg it to. Um, but then I, I also think that Silicon Valley benefited for a long time um, from being considered like, you know, this this liberal bastion, this place that's really progressive because you had companies like Google that were saying, like, do no evil. Um, and, and the idea was that these were companies that, could make profits that could be capitalist companies, but that could still like promote the social good and, and do good things in society, right? And I think that after 2015, 2016, that narrative started to unravel. You saw Google abandon um, Don't Be Evil as its kind of slogan or, or whatnot. Um, and you had a lot more um, investigation into a lot more recognition that these companies were actually doing like some really terrible things that we were just ignoring for a really long time because we wanted to believe this narrative that we had about them, right? Um, And so like one of the people in Silicon Valley that people often um, point to as like the token conservative or like the the kind of representative of Silicon Valley conservatism is Peter Thiel, who is this, you know, libertarian right-wing billionaire who, um, who, was part of PayPal, um, then co-founded Palantir, uh, you know, this, this big kind of data analytics associated with surveillance and, and national security, all those sorts of things. Um, but I, I wrote a piece last year, actually, kind of arguing that it's wrong to look at Peter Thiel and see him as this kind of exception to this kind of liberal rule in Silicon Valley. And that actually a lot of these billionaires, even though they've been traditionally associated with kind of the Democrats and and a more liberal politics, actually hold a lot of really kind of conservative ideas mm. more on the libertarian side of things and have been more likely to lean to the right in recent years. So again, as you say, like um, Jeff Bezos uh, long has libertarian politics, but have been associated with the Democrats. 
But now he's like following people like Barry Weiss on Twitter, retweeting Glenn Greenwald, who posted about an article about the new right the other day um, and saying that it was really well written um, and and really kind of intriguing. Um, You know, Elon Musk obviously making these these associations, these connections with people on the right. Mark Andreessen, um, you know, one of the big venture capitalists in Silicon Valley, like just to give a few examples, but there are many, many more. And this strand of kind of right-wing politics is very prevalent in Silicon Valley because there has, you know, Silicon Valley before it was associated with these liberal ideas was like a conservative space. It emerges out of the military industrial complex, all the funding that the U.S. state gave to it um, in the Cold War, in in World War II, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And so, yeah, I I think it was always wrong to to see it that way. Certainly it wanted to be seen as liberal and progressive, um, but it's it's a strong force of right wing politics and pushing those out into the world because you know at its core it, it is another capitalist industry and what they want is to to make money and to ensure that their power and wealth is protected above you know the the well being of of the rest of the public. Okay, so like Paris, I have like a thought that I think so. I've been trying to like figure out what ties Musk buying Twitter or like being interested in buying Twitter in. Like, you know, how, what it sort of tells us about, like, the existing projects with, like, Tesla, Hyperloop, SpaceX, and so on. Um, you know, because, like, I feel for someone like Musk, buying Twitter doesn't make sense, uh, like, business-wise. Um, because, you know, he doesn't, he's not, like, a social media guy. He's not really someone who, like, works in software. Um, you know, he is someone who, like, you know, uh, to kind of be very charitable, sort of, like, works on uh well works with cars and infrastructure and so on and then one idea that i was thinking about Twitter was also like doesn't make any money and he's taking out huge loans <laughs> against it that are yeah, going to require he, him to pay like a billion he, dollars yeah. a year in interest or something <laughs> he loves yeah he loves buying failing failing businesses and making them worse somehow i did find it very funny actually before we get into the like before we get into like the my, my kind of theory as to why he might find twitter useful um I, I was fascinated with like the way that he sort of finances this deal because what it sort of seems and sounds like is that a lot of Elon's wealth is sort of tied up in stock. Um, we know that like a lot of his businesses like aren't really very profitable and like they require a lot of state assistance. Um, and like that, I think he even mentioned at one point that he was like, he just didn't really have a lot of cash and it just seemed like ridiculous. But you're right. Like the deal that he's kind of signed to, or the deal that he's like put in place to like buy Twitter basically involves like taking out a lot of like, like, you know, t- uh, taking out a lot of the loan in Tesla stock. And I wondered whether you could explain to us more like how that deal, like what that deal actually looks like and why it's significant. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> I, I won't be able to give you the like exact breakdowns. It was like, I think about half of it was his own money that he was putting in. Um, and then another half of it was some combination of like loans and funding from various banks and financial institutions that he was working with in order to finance the deal. And those were loans that were taking out against his Twitter stock, I believe. Um, right. But the uh, the stock or the the 20 odd billion that he's using to fund his part of it, that that's not the loans that are coming from the financial institutions. He needs to come up for the money with that. And there is a I don't know, I guess a quite credible view that that will require him selling a significant portion of Tesla stock in order to finance that 20 odd billion dollars. Um, what you saw yesterday <laughs> after the deal was announced was that Tesla stock dropped by 12% um, over $100 billion off its market cap because uh, you know investors perceived that Elon Musk would be selling a significant portion of yeah, you know, or you know, enough of his company that it, or enough of his um his holdings that it would that it would matter and that it would be significant. And of course, you know, it's I think it's important to restate that Tesla is not a very profitable company. Um, a lot of the money that it makes come from comes from selling carbon credits, not from selling cars. Um, and that its valuation is incredibly inflated compared to other car companies because of how Musk pumps it up. Um. You know, with his statements to the press, with his statements on Twitter, with his statements in um, earnings calls, uh, and, and that is when he suggests that 
you know, <laughs> these cars are all going to have this self-driving software that people will be able to make money off of because they own their cars, um, that he'll be able to like kind of transform the future of transportation. Everyone will be driving Teslas because of this like innovation that he said it's, has been coming since 2014, but it has still not arrived. And he keeps saying we'll come every year and never deliver. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, he's like, you know, he's he he's uh he's a Frank Ocean fan and he knows that hype and <laughs> mm-hmm. uh and like constant like delayed gratification. Uh but we are heading towards the future where our cars will just like instantaneously set on fire for some reason and they'll crash into lampposts and all that stuff. I've only like I, I'll never think my, my main memory of Tesla is just like seeing a Tesla crash into a traffic light. Um like in London uh a few months ago and uh <laughs> like what the guy sort of got out um and was just like oh the computer fucked it or something like that and i, I, just, I just found that whole scene very very funny um <laughs> i'm glad uh, yeah i mean I, I think it's funny considering there was no casualty but it's just yeah. very much like <laughs> yeah you can laugh but, at it when you know that people are fine but, but but even but even still i think the way that people talk i mean this is not at all related to what we're talking about but the way that people talk about tesla like when this extremely expensive item goes wrong and always resulting in the in these kinds of ridiculous sort of ridiculous scenes like under any kind of normal circumstance like you you'd see people being like this piece of shit like i spent <laughs> i spent god knows how much on this and look at it it doesn't even fucking work but they still like they're still so like in hot to the yeah. tesla and they still like they still like try and defend the tesla it's like you're sticking up for that thing like it's a person it's really guess, really yeah. strange they're like no actually no you know what it's my fault because how was i supposed yeah. to know it was... that the only way that you can prevent it from crashing is by downloading a ten thousand dollar add-on uh which just charges my credit card without me giving it permission to... i was i should have known <laughs> that that's on that's on me that's was on that, me. Yeah. That's not on the supercomputer with wheels. That's my fault. There was that yeah. Tesla. There, there was that Twitter thread a while ago where a guy was just like, "Oh yeah, this is my third Tesla," and three times like it's just sort of stopped on the highway. Um, but actually, like if you buy a Tesla, it's like the best investment of your life, and like you know, uh, dollar for dollar, they're like the best cars ever made. And it's just like your car like stopped three like you've had three different cars and they've all malfunctioned in the same place and like i don't know if um phoebe i I don't know if you've ever been on like on like a freeway before um i have been there once oh okay that's cool i i I went there when i was in la like a few years ago i went on there once and like in a normal car and like it made me appreciate british driving so much um (laughs) and i i can only like if you sort of my, my my understanding is is that if you like even have a minor problem on a freeway in a car like you're fucked right yeah so if you have a minor problem in your in your car on a motorway then it's not that it's not an it's not an ideal situation no it's not an I, ideal situation I, I feel like if you're on your third tesla then you just need yeah. to start thinking about setting some boundaries for yourself yeah and working on doing some learning from your mistakes. <laughs> um, it's not like kind of wading yeah. through this kind of like puddle of nettles, like grasping one, just going, but, this yeah. time, but this I, time. Yeah. But I think there's like something interesting, like in what you said in terms of like, uh, yeah, people People seem, there, are, there seems to be like people who are so invested in like what they conceive of as the Musk project that they are sort of willing to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt over so many things that just don't make sense. And I think that does relate back to like the whole Twitter stuff and just like, oh, this guy is going to like save social media or he's going to like, you know, give us all freedom of speech, which is something that the woke left weren't like, you know, took away from us and all that stuff. And like, there is no evidence even by his own kind of like, even by his, his own metric, he's not, yeah, I mean, well, even but, like I mean, based I, on what he said, like he hasn't, there is nothing that he said that's been like, yeah, I'm going to like, open twitter up for everyone in a way that like will kind of deliver absolute free speech like this is stuff Mm. they're projecting onto him Um, yeah i think i think what i mean this is the thing like we can we could spend a lot of time talking about like his incredible hypocrisy um about like his horrible business practices uh that like that's not these are these are at this point, these are tables, like these are table stakes, like that, like the fact that his, one of his Tesla factories was described as, as the, as the most racist workplace they could possibly imagine is like, that's, that's just a kind of, 
like that to the people who are deciding that he's going to be a kind of defender of free speech or even even someone who grants free speech, which is, I think, very interesting and quite kind of, it, it seems to me quite antithetical to like this idea of Twitter as this being as as being a kind of egalitarian marketplace of ideas that there is a kind of kingly figure who is in the position of granting the capacity for speech yeah our techno king that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly what it's like so yeah like i mean the fact that he's a bad guy i i think is i think i mean not, i don't yeah. think it's i don't i don't think it's i don't think it's irrelevant i think that the way that people are sort of saying I've seen people people saying, you know, everyone, uh, like, how do we know that he's not going to start combing through our DMs, finding stuff critical of him, and and which is, a, I think, I think that's straying into paranoia. Actually, I don't, I don't think there's any obvious reason for him to do that, and I don't really think that there's any real, uh, real proof that when he says he's not political, that he's not being He's not being at least semi sincere. I think th- I don't think that he genuinely would think of himself as as somebody somebody of the of the right. Maybe somebody of sort of, of sort of the dissident right, but definitely not some not somebody on the right. Because I think that what he more represents, which is what I think is interesting for these purposes, is a, and I don't think that this is a an atmosphere which is particularly bipartisan, an atmosphere where the worst thing that you can be is somebody who is concerned about something or who is bothered by something or who finds something mm. who finds something alarming and who doesn't get in, get involved with with the joke. And this is something that we've talked about a lot before, how it's really easy to fall into the trap of being the person of wanting to appear to be the person who like cares the least. So, for, so for so for example, the uh, when like when we were talking last week about uh, Peter Thiel sort of funding uh, funding right wing kind of hard right content creators as a kind of very deliberate hard right project of uh, of kind of getting these kinds of thoughts and opinions into into a kind of a cultural mainstream and kind of into injecting it into a cultural mainstream on behalf of politicians who are not able to go as far as these content creators do themselves. And Elon Musk as a figure, as a cultural figure, not as a business figure, I'm not interested in him as a business figure. I don't care about his business decisions. Who cares? Um, as a cultural figure, he is a, he is a one man manifestation of this of this tendency where the worst thing that you can be is somebody who's a bit like I'm not sure about that I actually think it's I actually think it's alarming the idea of uh Nazis sending death threats to journalists I actually think that's something concerning I think it's concerning that uh that that there's this kind of obvious like concerted attempt of like dark money backing to uh, to inject some very very kind of troubling and uh, not just not just troubling but ways of ways of thinking and ways of organizing society and ways of seeing the world which are supposed to have been roundly rejected by every part of the political spectrum if you are a, a, if you are a right wing person you are still sort of supposed to reject fascism it's sort of what what has been agreed upon that you're sort of supposed to do it, and obviously that hasn't worked very well. Yeah. Uh, in uh, anywhere that hasn't worked very well anywhere, unfortunately. Uh, but there's still there, there's still an idea that that's that that's bad and that's a bad thing, and that you don't have to treat everything with a kind of with like a sneer and a smirk, and that's like not that's like not a necessary way of approaching. Of approaching either politics or culture as as an as an adult, it's 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 not. And if somebody makes fun of you, like oh, you you worried about the Nazis and on the platform, it's like well, I think I think it is <laughs> sort of okay to be worried about the Nazis on the platform, and you don't have to compete to be uh, to be the least bothered. And I think that it, that 
Elon's palling around with Peterson and Rogan and other sort of figures, sort of figures of this type, is is a is a deliberate manifestation of, oh, why are you mad? And that's, I think, da- I think it's dangerous, and I think it's worrying, and I also think it's very, very pathetic. Yeah. You know, and I don't know how to reconcile these two <laughs> conflicting feelings about it. I, I feel like, you know, I think you're getting at something really important there, though, right? Because when you think about his, his, you know, this larger idea, like, why are you angry about this? Why are you getting concerned about this? And his desire to play into that as well. I think that when you think about Musk, there is an inherent, like, desire to reject anything that could stall or halt progress and his particular idea of what progress looks Mm. like. Um, Mm. Because I think that more than anything else, his ideology is based around what works for me, what do I want to see happen, Mm. rather than a particular, like progressive or liberal, um, you know, worldview, I guess. Um, And, and you could see before, it worked for him, and it was to his advantage to present this more liberal face to what he was doing to get the support of democratic administrations, people who are concerned mm-hmm. about the environment with Tesla, et cetera, et cetera. And now it makes a lot more sense for him to be aligned with these more right-wing figures who are, again, making those arguments that you're saying, because now he's reached the point where he doesn't want regulations or taxes or anything like that to get in the way of him realizing what he feels should be his, like, I don't know, his destiny or whatever of bringing us to Mars and of being able to operate his car company however he wants or or whatever it is. Like when you look fundamentally at how he approaches problems, it's very much based around his particular experience with that problem and what he desires mm-hmm. to see as the solution. So how do we fix yeah. climate change? It's not through public transit, it's through electric cars because he likes driving sports cars. What, he's stuck in traffic? Okay, the problem, the, the solution isn't subways and, and transit, it's first to build another layer on the highways. And then when that proves not to work, um, it's to build more tunnels under the road that he can bring his car into and skip all the traffic, right? Um, And so a lot of his solutions, like now we're seeing with Twitter, and this idea of like, free speech and what content moderation should look like, it's not based around having like a deep understanding of the issue or, or really caring. It's just yeah. or an interest around. in the issue. He has no interest in the issue. Totally. I don't like, think. It seems. Yeah. It seems I mean, I mean, it seems very sort of vibes driven, right? So it's sort of just like, mm. oh yeah. yeah, like the vibe, like you know, um, I, I'm trying to like, describe it the best way that I can, but it's like, oh, the idea of having like self driving cars, like, you know, that seems like a cool vibe. So like, you kind of create like a whole sort of like narrative and like you know vision based on that and like everything that sort of gets away that gets in the way of like your cool thing like that suddenly becomes a problem right and then when things Mm. don't work it's like oh like actually this was just an experiment and really like the vibe says tunnels rather than kind of highways or like double roads or whatever and i think like when it comes to twitter there's you know the vibe now is very much like oh i see lots of people online are sort of talking about how we need absolute free speech and absolute free speech is like so important for like democracy and it's kind of like this extremely basic like high school debate society where like that debate like where the kind of you know weirdo who's read v for vendetta like suddenly has all (laughs) these opinions right um and like he's basically that guy except he has like loads of money to play with to sort of like run these experiments that you can only really sort of imagine being good if you are 16 years old like for the most part right um, but then to me, there's also, the, you know, I, I when I think about, okay, is there a way to sort of give Elon Musk some credit for like what he's doing? Not in a good way, to, but, but to be like, okay, like what's the actual play? <coughs> what seems very clear is that like the relationship between the Tesla stuff and the Hyperloop stuff and the Twitter stuff is really his preoccupation with infrastructure um, and the idea of wanting to control infrastructure. And when you see Twitter as like an integral part of, like information infrastructure in terms of the way it's distributed. And crucially, I think Phoebe, as you mentioned earlier in the episode, like Twitter being a, like, even though it's sort of like a relatively small social network compared to the other ones, it is the place where like things become news or things become important or like, you know, there are certain, like it exists in the ecosystem in a way of like taking stuff that is like broadly online nonsense, but like turning it into 
you know, it was, it's the reason why it's like the crucible of the culture wars. It's the reason why like Tucker Carlson, like, like all his segments are basically just like, here's a thing I found on Twitter that I'm mad out. Um, and I imagine that Musk has sort of seen this and he's just like, I can kind of leverage this in like lots of different ways. And like owning the infrastructure, it then becomes a very valuable asset for like whatever he chooses to do. Um, and I was thinking about this in relation to things like Amazon Web Services or even just like the Facebook Metaverse players. The idea that like for all these tech CEOs, it's no longer the case of like running a service that is like there to advance like an existing internet or to kind of like interconnect things. It's now about having like controlling the flow of information or controlling the interface. And Paris, I wondered what your thoughts were on that in terms of like understanding Twitter as infrastructure, but also in relation to like how Elon Musk views infrastructure, um, where like the vision of Twitter kind of fits into that. Yeah, you know, I would say he views infrastructure in like a very, very kind of narrow way in in the idea of like tunnels and, you know, what he would like to see happen there. But I think that one of the things that a lot of people miss is also that what he's doing with space and SpaceX is very much about controlling infrastructure as well, right? About controlling the infrastructure of rocket launches, of, of satellites, um, and, mm. and of what is happening kind of out, outside of Earth, taking that away from public space agencies and, and putting it within his control, which I think is very powerful. Um, and so the idea that Twitter is another infrastructure that is worthy to control and that he might see benefit from that, I think makes a lot of sense. I think it remains to be seen you know, what kind of benefit he will actually derive from that it, with the changes that he's actually trying to make. But I think another thing that is important to remember when we think about media and, and communications is that while we treat this kind of Elon Musk buying Twitter as a novel thing with a billionaire kind of taking over this platform, the idea of billionaires buying media is not at all new. And when you look at like the US or the UK media, you know, all, all most of the major properties, except for like BBC and public broadcasters, um, are owned by re really rich people who, you know, people will quibble with the idea, but they obviously see some influence and some benefit to having control over yeah. that media in order to kind of um, get people to think about society and the world in a particular way. And I think there definitely has to be something in something um, along those lines in Musk buying Twitter, even though he frames it in these these notions of protecting free speech and the digital public square and what have you. But his control over that public square um, does give him a lot of power to shape, you know, the things that we're talking about, how we discuss these these important things, mm -hmm. because as you said before, this is where a ton of journalists are and where a ton of journalists look for stories and, and things that are going on, where a ton of politicians are, like for all the problems with Twitter, for the fact that it's not as large as, as Facebook, it's still incredibly important to kind of setting the narrative and the, mm -hmm. the understanding of, of what is actually going on. Um, and so his control over that certainly gives him power. It just remains to be seen what degree <laughs> of power that is and how exactly that's going to work, I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, I'm conscious that we are like running close to time. Uh, and like, I know that a lot of this episode has also been speculation because crucially, like, we don't really know what Musk plans to do with Twitter. And again, because there is no kind of articulation as to like his vision, um, it sort of sort of yeah. seems to fit into the whole vibes thing. And I was reading like a few kind of speculative pieces today, uh, one from our friend uh, Ed Ongueso, uh, who basically kind of says that like the reality might be that like, Elon doesn't really change that much at all. He kind of, he might like, you know, set some new moderation kind of, you know, principles. Uh, you know, there, there very might be the case where like Trump might come back and like a couple of other sort of signifiers. But for the most part, like Twitter is like a broadly unusable site generally that we spend too much time on generally because there is very little else. Um, but then I was also thinking about, and we sort of touched on this a little bit, but maybe this is a good way to end it. <coughs> Whether like Elon Musk really needs to do anything. I think that even like based on even just the news that he's buying it and you have like so many people that are kind of like taking glee in it because it's perceived as like owning the libs or like, you know, uh, fortifying like their side against, you know, the uh, one, you know, the, the kind of perceived opponents like in whatever form they are. But crucially, it sort of seems to be, I think Phoebe, you touched on it, which was like, oh, he's making people who care about stuff really mad. And that's inherently like a good thing. 
Um, mm. But then at the same time, I think there is also this kind of over, the vague platitudes that Musk puts out also brings with it like these this kind of feeling of overpromising. And I sort of wonder, especially like in the post-Trump environment, whether Musk can kind of like might end up taking on a position of being well, either like a Trump-like figure on Twitter or even like a Q-like figure. Um, I say the Trump-like figure in the sense of like uh, when Trump was online, I think one of the appeals of it was that he was kind of like the platform villain. And like he kind of acted as like a central point for lots of people to kind of like derive their online identities. And like when he was sort of taken off, I think there were a lot of people that just weren't really sure what to do after that. Um, And then with the Q stuff, I think is like very similar, which is like post-January the 6th, I think for like lots of Q people, they have not really been sure like what to kind of make of, you know, the past couple of years and, you know, the whole movement and like they still buy into the promises and they still buy into the idea of like, you know, secret shady cabals. Um, but they sort of need, like they need a figure to kind of like rally around. And I wonder like whether Musk might become that figure, even choosing not to do so, or will it just be the case of just like, he'll kind of be around, he'll be a, he'll be like an annoying guy that people quote tweet whenever he posts, but like, that's kind of it. Mm. Well, I would almost argue that Musk already has that position, right? Like he's right. already yeah, exactly. an incredibly mm-hmm. central yeah, figure absolutely. on Twitter. Um, what he says, you know, whether you love him or hate him, like all of his, all of his cult and fanboys will like respond to and retweet what he says. But then, you know, all of the people who hate him will also like pick up on his tweets and say, oh my God, he's saying this now, like what's going on? The media will take his tweets and turn it into news stories. So I, I think he already kind of commands that position. Yeah. But, you know, with him owning the platform, I think you can see that elevated to a new level because now whenever something happens, people will run to him positive or negative and say, you know, these these right wing people will probably run to him and say, this happened, can you fix it? You know, fill his, his mentions with, these kind of uh, tweets, but then if bad things happen, I think you can see people, you know, tweeting at him about that as well. Um, I think mm-hmm. your point about the perception is also really interesting, right? Because a lot of these ideas that conservative voices are being silenced and stuff is perception and not so much reality. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, the outright sure. fascist might get banned sometimes who who really can't stop themselves from saying like the most vile things. But for the most part, these people do not really face the consequences of things that they say or or do online. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, uh, I think naturally, or, or in legacy, or in legacy media, totally, either. Totally. As long as long as there's some kind of uh, as long as there's some kind of pattern of respectability and something that they can be tied to, which makes which makes even the most loathsome things they have to say look not reasonable but certainly like a kind of allowable within the within the kind of the general structure uh structure of of ideas so it's so it yet again like comes back to that the objection is always to vulgarity it's never to the content yeah no i can so like kind of like like proper kind of like 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 fist like fist thumping like nazis on twitter on on twitter are deemed to be vulgar but douglas murray is not yeah no I, i completely agree with that and so I think like, as, as you were saying, Hussein, like about the changes that might come of it, I think that naturally in this discussion, because Twitter kind of uh, encourages people to take a more extreme position um, to, to get the likes, to get the retweets, that we see a lot of people, you know, um, kind of amping up the potential of what this actually means in terms of the changes that he's going to make, like the people who are talking about Elon Musk going and reading all their DMs. Like, again, I think that is a stretch personally. Um, you know, maybe they should be encrypted. I don't know, but I really don't think Elon Musk is going to go reading through um, all of our messages. <laughs> if I if I was Elon Musk, that'd be the first thing I do. I just say to the engineers, like, I want to read, I want to read the DM. Like, <laughs> show me, show me everything everyone that, that mean that mean people have said that's mean about me. Yeah, check all the short sellers DMs, see what they're saying. I don't know. I feel yeah. like you have to. You, you kind of have to be like, I don't know. Even I feel like if I had control of Twitter. I wouldn't even ask like to kind of find all the mean messages about me because like, yeah, I think they would hurt my feelings. Um, yeah, I was literally just about to say, I don't know why I said that. I'd actually want to be, I'd actually be like, can you uh, see if there are any DMs being nice about me? <laughs> saying, that, saying that they think I'm nice. 
<laughs> and they're excited for me to take over. Can you can you just yeah. get me those? Because like I don't know. I, I don't a, even. I want I, a newsletter report every morning of all the positive DMs about me. <laughs> yeah, about, yeah, about exactly who thinks I'm cute yeah. on this platform. That's right. That's. I mean, like, look, I refuse to name search, so I wouldn't ever like look for my DMs. But no, I never. I never name search. Um, but uh, my uh, my opponents, on the other hand, we'll we'll see about that. <laughs> okay well look we we've got to end the show because we are running a bit out of time so what i will say is paris thank you so much for joining us um uh on this very coffee episode of Ten Thousand posts uh hopefully next time <laughs> you come on um we'll we'll both be like in good health or at least like i'll have sort of got some of my life force back um but until then if people want to like follow the stuff you do um or even buy your book how can they do that yeah totally you know they can follow me online at paris marks on twitter you know our favorite platform um, they can listen to my podcast, Tech Won't Save Us, where you know I talk about tech stuff every week. Um, and yeah, if they want to pre-order the book, Road to Nowhere, What Silicon Valley Gets Wrong About the Future of Transportation, you can do that at Verso Books' website or you know anywhere else that you buy books. It's available for, it's available for pre-order and comes out in July. Cool. Uh, yeah, well, hopefully we'll have you back on to talk about it uh, because like, I, I'm, reading, I'm reading some of it at the moment and it is uh, very good. Um, Thank you. Uh, we can follow us at 10k postpod on twitter.com and you can also follow our patreon uh five bucks a month for bonus episodes once a week uh patreon.com forward slash 10k post podcast uh i don't really have anything to plug i mean follow me on twitter maybe at hkizvani uh phoebe do you have anything to like uh plug or yeah i'll i'll, I'll plug up I'll, I'll plug masters that's that's what i'll do if you would like to listen to me and milo edwards's Seinfeld podcast that's Masters of Our Domain and you can follow it on Twitter at Masters of Pod and that's where we post the episodes and uh, dumb jokes that come into our head and weird shit about Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Cool it's a good show uh, I enjoy listening to it very much um, this show is Thank produced you. by Devon you can follow them at Devon underscore on earth you can also listen to their podcast Kill James Bond uh, which also features a few of our friends as well um, yeah, I think that's it from us. So until next time, we'll catch you later. Uh, have a good one. Bye. 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 Baby, no money. Whip a test. Spinners looking kind of ass. Find me bumping on my fees. I'm sorry, it doesn't clip. Wear a cap and go to hell. The hell just make me better. Dodge my ass's taste. Now she's sending letters. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Alexa. How many boots can we fit in the Tesla? Told your boot. Nope. Like I'm Jack, 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 Tesla. With your Model X, Elon Musk, how I flex, studies in my Pokedex, Articuno on my neck, Pikachu on my Patek, Gravy, gotta catch them all every time I get a check. Ditch school, draw, cheddar, get cool.